Our reading is Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes wind his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air meet their, eat their waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied for the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons, the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night and all the beasts of the field promit forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of all your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you form, to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied and good th with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. 
May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May the meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in my Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Lovely to be with you. It is an amazing psalm, isn't it? So visual. That's why I brought bread and wine and oil for you to look at, for you to have something to reflect on as we talk about this wonderful psalm. Because we're starting our new series. It's a month-long series on stewardship. And that is all about how we use what God has given us. And what a wonderful place to start, to start thinking about how God has provided for us. He's provided everything we need. And this, of course, is something that God's people have had to learn from the very beginning. You remember when he took them out of Egypt into the desert. The desert, of course, is a place with scarcely any water. Unusually, um, we heard this morning that it does sometimes have water. But it's a place where they had to learn to be dependent on God. They had to learn that God is their provider. And uh, we have uh, in our um, family history, if you like, a story about God's provision that we often uh, remind each other of. Uh, when we were living in the Netherlands, we lived in a four-bedroomed house. It was very nice on the outskirts of Amsterdam. And so we wanted to offer our house to friends, people we knew who perhaps wanted a holiday in the Netherlands and couldn't afford a hotel. So when we went away, we would make our house available for people uh, to use. But for those of you, um, I'm sure you can appreciate uh, that that cost us sometimes a little bit. I was a bit stressed about getting the house clean and ready. Sometimes there was one time I remember um, some people stayed with some young children and they pulled the heads off all the little Playmobil figures that belonged to Izzy and Sam. And uh, yes, we, you can imagine, it, there wasn't a lot of happiness about that. Um, but as a family, we believed it was the right thing to do. And uh, anyway, a couple of years went by, two or three years went by, and we had the opportunity of going to Canada. And so I, I got in touch with an old family friend, and this lady said to me, oh, Sue, if you're coming to Canada, you know, we'd love you to come and stay. In fact, we're going on holiday the dates that you're coming, but we have a cat, and if you like, you could come and stay in our house and feed our cat. So we thought, well, great, that would be fantastic. You know, it meant that we could stay for a bit longer, actually, and uh, use this house. Well, when we arrived at this house, if I describe it to you, it was a huge house with every single possible gadget and device and wonderful thing for children to play with inside the house. It had loads and loads of rooms. The kitchen was, yes, I can't tell you how big it was. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I was overwhelmed at this house, but that wasn't all. The garden, we went out into the garden and there was a hot tub 
And that's not all. The garden went down to the lake. And in the garden, there was a little place, a little house that had a boat. And she said we could use their boat. And so um, the kids had the most amazing holiday. I can't tell you. They had this thing that you sort of held onto at the back of a boat and it whizzes around. And they had just the most incredible time, as, as did we. We all did. And so we often smile to ourselves about the fact that, you know, there we were worried about our little Playmobil figures. Uh, and actually, you know, what God provided for us as a family was so far and beyond what we could have ever imagined. So when we think about this God of provision, this God of abundance, um, we look to this psalm. Because in some ways, when you first read it, it feels a bit like it's a psalm about nature. But of course, it is a psalm actually all about God, isn't it? The psalmist starts by saying, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And then it's as if he wants to show us how he knows that, why he knows that. Because he paints this wonderful picture of fruitfulness, doesn't he? Fruitfulness. There's that word fecundity. I love that word. It's a very strange word. But it does give you the impression of green fields and um, as you know I've recently been to Rwanda and that is a tremendously green country when you look out of the window uh, when you're traveling you just see green hills everywhere and every inch seems to be cultivated it's a very fertile land uh, but the psalmist of course knows that it's God who produces this fruitfulness, he says, doesn't he, the earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. It's God, as it were, who labors for the earth to be fertile. And he doesn't just provide food, but he provides shelter. It talks about the homes for the animals and their birds, because to provide is in God's nature. Uh, it comes from, the word provide comes from the, those two Latin words, Pro meaning, meaning before and vide or videre. Does anyone speak Latin here? No, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, that Latin word. Um, and that means to see. So actually, it's about God seeing our needs and then meeting them. So He sees, as it were, before we need what we need. He sees, to, he sees it and then He sees to it, as it were. God provides. The other thing, of course, we see in this psalm is that he's extravagantly generous, isn't he? He's extravagant in the way that he provides. Because he doesn't just provide water and the bare necessities of life. Look, he provides the wherewithal to enjoy so much food and so much in nature. Uh, it says, doesn't it, in verse 24, "'How many are your works, O Lord?' Nature is extravagant, isn't it? There's, there's the words like teeming and swarming. There's so much of it. I gather there, is, there are 300,000 species of beetle even, just, just a beetle. Um, and uh, I'm sure those of you who've watched David Attenborough programs, um, I watched one the other day where um, they were showing how birds, type of birds, actually do like a little dance. And it was actually quite humorous. I mean, really, very funny. Uh, and I was just thinking, isn't that amazing that God even shows his humor, as it were, in how he creates, all his creativity. 
But there are a few other things that this psalm tells us about God. It tells us that God is a God who is in control. He rebukes and creation obeys. He tells the waters where to go. He assigns them their places. Uh, it echoes the Genesis story, doesn't it, of creation, how God speaks and creation happens. But it also shows that God is a God of order. There's nothing chaotic about nature. As we talk about it, don't we, the natural order of things. You know, there is a design and an order. He sets the limits. I think this shows something of God's character, doesn't it? He's reliable and faithful in all that he does. He orders the days and the seasons. Every time the sun rises, we think of God's faithfulness, don't we? And God is the source of all life and renewal. There's that lovely verse in verse 30. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. As the life giver, all God's creatures look to him. It talks about the lions looking to him for their food. And it makes me think that we as fellow creatures are we dependent on God. And God, of course, has a relationship with his creation. Um, the psalmist uses those lovely metaphors, doesn't he, of like robe and temple and um, tent. And I think that's in order to try and show how God is so closely related to his creation. He has an attachment to it. He can rejoice over his creation, but he can also, of course, grieve over it. And we are so blessed, aren't we, living where we live. Uh, I don't know how many of you know, but I live in Twyford, which is just this delightful, picturesque village. And my house, literally, I look at the church, I walk through the churchyard, and I'm at this most beautiful spot on the Itchen River. It really is beautiful. And I think all of us here can easily picture the beauty of creation because of where we live. We are so blessed. We don't want for anything uh, in our lives in some ways. But someone once said to me, Sue, there is actually a bit of a danger in blessing, which I know sounds strange, but they were describing how spiritually the place of blessing can actually be a more risky place than walking in the valleys, as it were. When you're on top of mountaintops in a place of blessing, that is often the place where you can stumble and fall. When you're walking in the valleys, when life is really, really hard, spiritually, that can be a safer place. And that made me think about uh, how this psalm um, is very closely related to a very ancient hymn. If you want to know about this ancient hymn, Brian, I'm sure, is the one to talk to about it. But it's an Egyptian hymn, and uh, it's a hymn to the sun. It's by somebody called Aken Akhenatins. Does that sound about right, Brian? I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's a hymn to the sun, and it's very closely uh, related to this psalm. In fact, we think that it probably had an influence on the psalm. But of course, it's different in one very crucial and significant way, isn't it? Because the Egyptian hymn to the sun was worshipping the created rather than the creator. And I think because... We know of God as the creator. That is a doctrine that is uh, very familiar to us. We've grown up with it. It's easy, isn't it, for us to scoff at people who worship nature, worship the sun and the moon. 
But actually, God knows the human heart so well, doesn't he? Because his first commandment to us is, you shall have no other gods before me. And his second is, you shall not make for yourself any idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Because God knows how easy it is for us as humans to start focusing on the created rather than the creator. We begin to hold on to those things that are tangible and visible rather than the invisible. And I think sometimes we don't realize that we have this tendency to idolatry until something that we've been holding on to is perhaps taken away from, from us or is asked of us. I think it's easier for us to believe that God is our great provider when we have our health and our strength and our homes and our security. But what about those times when we feel impoverished, when we feel like we're really in need? What about those Christians in parts of the world who are persecuted, who are made poor because of their faith? Those people who have things taken away from them rather than things given to them. How is God our provider then? Well, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten. Not one of them is forgotten by God. He's saying God cares for these little insignificant birds. And then he uses that wonderful hyperbole, doesn't he? He says, how much more are you worthy? How much more? You are more worth, you are more than, sorry, you are worth more than many sparrows. In fact, you're worth more than many, many sparrows, actually. And later on in that chapter, he tells them to look to nature again. He says, Consider the ravens, consider the lilies, just like we've been doing today, looking at nature. And he says we're to look to nature because when we see how God cares for his creation, when we see how beautiful he makes a wild flower that only lasts a few days or a butterfly that lasts a short time, when we see how he provides for it and how he cares for it, then we don't need to worry Jesus says again and again, do not be afraid. Even in that, in that passage, he says, do not be afraid, little flock. Just look at how God cares for his creation. And we are so much more important to him than the sparrow. Because Jesus knows when he tells us not to be afraid, he knows something really significant. And that is because the opposite of faith is not doubt, but the opposite of faith is fear. I'll say that again. The opposite of faith is not doubt, because doubt and faith often go hand in hand, actually. You can be a person of faith and have quite a lot of doubts and questions that you need to take to the Lord. But the thing that we don't have when we have faith is fear. So when Jesus is asking us not to be afraid, he is asking us to have faith to believe that God is our provider because he wants us to trust God as our provider. 
And the psalm really helps us in this, I think. It helps us to be people of faith because the psalmist does three things. First of all, he sings, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I just want to ask you, how many of you sing when you're not in church? Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Because singing, you know, we're told to sing. And I know we're told to sing because it's good for us. It's so good for us to sing. So do it in your shower. Do it when you're washing up. Put some music on and sing because it lifts your hearts. It, it increases your faith that there is something worth singing about. The other thing he talks about is meditation. May my meditation be acceptable to you. And of course, we know, don't we, how important it is us it important it is for us to meditate. It might be worth, um, when you get home, reading this psalm again, quietly and slowly, perhaps in another version, perhaps in the message version or the passion translation or the authorized version even. It's a very beautiful psalm, isn't it? Just take that as a gift to meditate on. But also I think God wants us to enjoy his creation and to use it to bring him bring us closer to him. So perhaps the next time you eat bread or drink wine or use olive oil, you can think about what we've been talking about and thinking about today. Use that as a way of turning your mind to God. Perhaps the next time the sun is on your back on a beach, you can think about the warmth of God's love on us. Or the next time you see the ocean the sea, maybe the words of that old, old chorus, wide, wide is the ocean, high as the heavens above. Maybe that will make you think of how wide God's love is. Or if you're like Eric and I, the next time you go for a swim, and Sarah Jane, <laughs> I'm sure all three of us do this, but every time I swim, I think to myself, gosh, my body is the most amazing thing. It can move through water, and it turns my mind to God. C.S. Lewis said that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. So let us enjoy what God has given us. Let us enjoy creation. And that, of course, is how the psalm ends, isn't it? He talks about practicing, rejoicing, rejoicing the Lord always. And that's not a passive thing. It's not just about being happy. It's actually about upholding all that is good and recognizing that even though there is still evil in this world, as the psalmist knows, God is still God. Jesus did more for us than just tell us not to be afraid, didn't he? Jesus didn't just tell us that God will provide for us. Jesus was, of course, the supreme expression of God's provision for us. Jesus shows us that when we are lacking in our faith, he is faithful. In Jesus, we see that abundance of God's provision. In Jesus, we see that generosity of God, the extravagance of God. When we look at the cross, we see the God who always and completely provides. And we can trust God as a provider because of Jesus. I wonder if we could finish by saying together, 
those words that come at the end of the song, the hymn rather, When I Survey. I think uh, you might well know it. Uh, the last verse starts, were the, were the whole realm of nature mine? Shall we say that together as a prayer? Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my heart, my all. Amen.